From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga. My guest today is my old friend, J.J. Heller. Uh, I met J.J. 15 or so years ago, probably with uh, her husband, Dave. Jeremy Casella actually brought them over to my old studio back when it was in the basement of our house. Uh, They were looking at just meeting different people in town as they were about to move here and were wanting to start some records. And um, they ended up producing a bunch of records with Mitch Dane and then Ben Shive. And I've played on, uh, I don't know, a ton of those and, you know, got to sing on them and write a few songs with them. Um, over the years, we've just become uh, friends, and I just love those guys. They're wonderful. And uh, so JJ and Dave, but uh, Dave doesn't have a microphone, though he makes his presence known. <laughs> but JJ and I got to chat about how she got started in music. Um, what that's looked like for her, their journey has been very different from a lot of my other friends. They've never been on a record label, um, and they've kind of built their their thing by themselves. Um, but that's not really a pivot. Um, but what's really fascinating is sort of what she thought her life was going to look like, what it looks like now, and then um, kind of the giant wrench that anxiety and uh, panic attacks threw in that. And um, she's really open about it, and I know that can be tricky. And uh, I just so deeply respect her bravery and uh, willingness to talk about this stuff. And I think you'll find it really helpful and encouraging. I just, it was great. It was a great conversation. I always am thankful for time with these guys. Uh, JJ has a new album uh, that's coming out in November, a lullabies album. They're going to tell us all about it. Um, But I want you to know two things. One, they have a new single is coming out this week. So by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out already. And if you stick around to the end of this episode, uh, they actually shared a song with us here in the studio, and it's wonderful, and it will make you fall asleep because it's a lullaby, and that's what they're supposed to do. So if you're driving, be careful. And you know what's fun is, and this always happens when people I've known for 15 years come over, and you ask them a question, within like a minute, they're telling you things you've never known, and I've never thought to ask. And uh, uh, so without any further ado... Here is uh, my conversation with the delightful J.J. Heller. So I have a couple sponsors for this podcast, and what I love about this is not only do they help me bring this podcast to you, but they're things I really, really believe in. So I want to tell you about them again. If you've skipped past this before, don't now. We've got two sponsors for this season, globalcounselingnetwork.com. These are accredited world-class counselors uh, who work virtually. So if you're in a place that you don't have access to good counseling and you know you need someone to walk with you uh, through the changes of life, trauma, stress, anxiety, relationship difficulties, uh, health issues, spiritual issues, whatever it is, I want you to know that there are people out there who would love to help. And uh, no one needs to walk through this alone. And if you don't have somebody in your immediate community who can be that for you right now. There are people who would love to help. Globalcounselingnetwork.com. You really need to check that out. Also, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. And here's the deal. If you're in Nashville, they have lots of events. We host some of them here at the Art House, and they're wonderful, and you should check them out. If you are not in Nashville, there are still tons of great things uh, that you can find on their website. Uh, seminars that you can listen to, writings, tons of resources to think through where does our faith and our work intersect? This is a valuable resource uh, for many in my community, and I think for you too, and so I don't want you to miss this. So please go check out Nashville Institute for Faith and Work at nifw.org. Dude, my kids have started watching Full House on Hulu. <laughs> And the they're obsessed. Wow. The original Full House, not the like new Netflix version, like how rude. 1989 Full House, and they think it's the greatest thing ever. No way. It's so bizarre. Wow. You got it, dude. Mm-hmm. 
And the best was when Steve Urkel showed up on the oh, crossover episode, yeah. and they had no reference for who Steve Urkel was. And they're like, who is this guy? Why is everyone going crazy in the like can laughter? Oh, yeah. It's the case he walks in the door and it like erupts. But then they thought he was the funniest person they've ever seen. What? Okay. Well, let's start. Uh, would you would you tell me about like your family growing up? Yeah. Would sure. you grow up in Phoenix? No. Um, my husband Dave grew up in Phoenix, but I grew up in San Jose, California. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, spent my whole childhood there. Um, grew up in a Christian family. My dad taught at a Christian high school. I mean, still still does. What does he teach? Uh, Bible. <laughs> um, and um, I grew up in a very sports oriented family. And so like my mom was super into sports. My dad has coached pretty much every high school sport you can imagine. Really? But yeah, mostly football and basketball. He would kind of go back and forth between those like every few years. And so that's just kind of my family culture. Um, I started playing softball when I was five and then basketball and just kind of fell in love with basketball. And since I was little, my my dream was to play basketball in college. And so even as I was growing up, my dad, the basketball coach, would take me to the gym at school every Sunday night and he would rebound for me and I would just shoot over and over and over. And and once I got to high school, I stopped growing. So that meant that I had to be a good shooter. And so I just got really good at making three-pointers. And um, by the end of my senior year of high school, I was voted the most valuable player of my whole league. No way. Um, yeah, and that, that was just my identity. Like, I, I had the letterman's jacket with all the pins, and that was me. I Like, in the yearbook, I was most athletic. I never knew this about you. I know. It's, not, it's so weird because it's not a part of my life at all anymore. But wow. it was, like, what I was orbiting around for, yeah, the I mean most of my life as as a kid and yeah did you play in college so yeah I went away to college I played at a little Christian college um and I thought that maybe if I worked really hard that I could be the most valuable player of my league by the time I was a senior in college and so I had all these like big dreams and expectations and I get to school my freshman year I start playing and as soon as the the season begins I realized that my dream was never going to happen because all of a sudden I was terrible and I don't know what happened I could not make a basket to save my life I man it was so frustrating it it honestly it felt like somehow God was like sabotaging my basketball skills and uh and it was it was terrible and at the end of the season I looked at my stats and I had the worst shooting percentage on my entire team and I was so discouraged and I decided that I wasn't going to play again the the next year and and then it was like the death of a dream. Yeah. And I didn't know who I was. And without this thing on the horizon to shoot for. And I I ended up going on a missions trip with my through my college that following summer. And um <laughs> this is just a tangent, but I think it's really interesting that I when I signed up for this trip. We were going to Canada, and we were going to teach drama camps, and then all those doors closed, and I remember going to a meeting about the team, and like the team leader was like, guys, um, we're not going to Canada, but I really feel like um, all, the, all the doors are opening to go to Kenya, Africa. And I was like, ah. And how much time did you have <laughs> left? Was it like coming up quick? Um, I mean, it was a couple months. But I mean, there was still time for me to say, okay, I'm out. But I, at that point, I, w I just felt really invested. And, and so I decided to be brave and went ahead and, um, and went for it. And we were there for six weeks. So it was Whoa. a yeah, significant amount That's, of time. Yeah. But it was, 
exactly what I needed because I was at this point in my life where I was just feeling so lost. And mm. and it was also this time where I was kind of reevaluating my faith and what I believed and what my own theology was, like growing up with my dad teaching Bible and and then going to this college and, and hearing professors who I respected kind of presenting different sides of theological issues and, and my mind being like, wait, I thought there was just one, there's one clear answer, right? <laughs> um, and, and the way that they presented it was just asking us to make our own decision and just saying there are respected people who believe this and respected people who believe that, and you get to decide what you want to do. And so it was that plus like the death of my dream. And so I was just in this really like vulnerable place. And um, in those, it was only six weeks of my life, but I feel like so many pivotal things happened then. And one of those things was I learned how to play the guitar while I was there. Wow. And I wrote my first song with some of the people who I was there with. And uh, and it was like the tiniest little seed of a new dream that God was planting in my heart for songwriting. And, and there, was, <laughs> there was this other moment where we were in the bush in Africa, and it was my turn to wash the dishes, and there was two buckets of water one had soap and one did not and you're supposed to like wash the dish in the soapy water and then rinse it in the non-soapy water but by the end like both of the the bowls of water looked like brown sludge and it was just like (laughs) um well and so i i was washing the dishes and i just started singing to kind of pass the time and i looked over and the rest of my little missions team had gathered and they were listening to me sing and wow. and I kind of stopped and um I don't even remember what what I said probably some like self-deprecating comment about why why would you sit and listen to me sing and and one of the guys on the team like I still remember him saying this he said I would pay money to hear you sing and I mean it was just kind of an offhanded comment but it was the first time that I had thought of my voice as anything special Mm. and um because i had grown up singing and even in high school i was in singing groups but i never got very many solos and so i thought well music is fun but i think i'm better at sports so i'm just going to invest in that and do music on the side and so while i was in africa all of these things were kind of shifting and rearranging in my heart and um and it's so cool to look back because I know that if things had gone the way that I wanted them to, if I was awesome at basketball, then maybe I still would have gone on that trip and maybe I still would have learned how to play the guitar and written the song, but I wouldn't have given songwriting a second thought because mm. I would have been sure of my dream for my own life. And, and it's only because my dream was destroyed <laughs> that there was room for, for something else that was bigger and more beautiful. Wow. So at that point, did you decide, I'm going to chase this music thing? Like, what, how do you go from having some, you know, a missions team watch you while you're washing dishes in Kenya <laughs> to being like, I'm going to make a record and go on <laughs> tour and not get a real job? Like... How does that happen? Uh, Very, very gradually. I mean, even at that point, it wasn't like I thought, oh, this is it. This is this is the new thing. This is what I'm going to do with my life. It was just a series of thousands of baby steps, Um, constantly being surprised that people wanted to hear the songs that I wrote or they would say things like, oh, my gosh, I feel like you read my journal. Um, That song is my life or uh, it wasn't like I I knew in that moment I'm gonna be a singer songwriter and this is gonna be my job. It was it was just surprising how much I enjoyed it, mm. and it felt like it it felt natural and comfortable, and it felt like something that I was made to do. But at the same time, I 
I had no aspirations to turn it into a job. Like that was just too big of a dream to even hope for at that yeah. point. So what were you thinking a job would be for you? I mean, were, or were you thinking that? I mean, you're you're in school. What were you studying? Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea what kind of job <laughs> I wanted. Um, I come from a family full of teachers, but I just, I'm not really gifted at that. I, I, I don't know. I have like no, no job skills. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt that, but that's funny. I mean, what, like, what was your major in college? Um, I I was an English major. Okay. Because I didn't know what else to choose. <laughs> yeah, I was too. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I like this. I like I like writing. Mm-hmm. I like, um, and even in high school, I loved creative writing assignments, but I wasn't disciplined enough to just sit down on my own and write poetry. Mm. And so I think that's what was so uh, kind of like revelational about songwriting was it it connected my love for music with my love for writing and all of a sudden it just kind of clicked i love that so and then when did you meet dave how did that happen yeah so i ended up leaving that college it was in redding california so like northern northern california and i was like pretty miserable my freshman year it's just like all the things that i hoped college would be it just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I just, I didn't find my group of people to, I mean, everybody was nice, but I just, I didn't feel like I fit and like my dream died. And <laughs> I was away from home and it was just this year. I went there for um, a year and a half and it was a year and a half of just like stripping away everything mm. that I kind of wanted and felt comfortable with and um I was just kind of whittled down to like close to nothing and but then it was like this beautiful rebuilding and figuring out Mm. okay who am I who am I beyond being an athlete and do I have something to say and why are people responding to these songs that I'm writing and so I ended up moving home uh, to San Jose, and I had a friend who was involved with San Jose State um, for their – they had an on-campus ministry there, and she invited me to go, and I went, and my husband Dave was leading worship. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and so I just – I felt like I really clicked with that group of people, and then I got involved in that um, on-campus ministry, even though I didn't go to San Jose State. And so I joined the worship team and like I had just started writing songs at that point. And so there was one day after practice where I said, hey, guys, you want to hear this song that I wrote? And and so I played it and which takes a lot of guts. Yeah, I was nervous. Um, But then the drummer in the band for the worship team got super excited. And so he said, okay, this is what's going to happen. JJ, you're going to sing and write the songs. And Dave, you're going to play the guitar. And I'll play the drums and manage us and like set up the gigs. And so Dave and I were like, okay, sure. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> um, and and he kind of like spearheaded the whole thing. And we were just kind of along for the ride. But then over the next year and a half, we just kept getting more and more opportunities and and people just kept encouraging us to continue and and then Dave and I got engaged and we're trying to figure out what we wanted to do with our life like once we got married and he actually went to school for photojournalism and that's, that's what right. he got his degree in and the summer before we got married, he got this really great internship at this big paper in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was kind of like he was so close to kind of achieving the dream that he had all through his childhood, and and they offered him a job at the end of the internship, and so we kind of had to have that conversation of, do we take this safe nine to five job that you've dreamed about since you were a kid or do we pursue our music 
and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the answer kind of seems obvious, like what the smart, safe choice would be. But at the same time, we just we really felt like if we were going to give music a shot that like right out of college when we had no kids, no mortgage, um, that that would be the time. So Dave said no to the um, to the safe newspaper job, and and we started to pursue music. and And he plays guitar uh, when we perform and we write our songs together. But I think what's so funny though is looking back, it was maybe two years after that when the whole newspaper industry imploded. Yeah. So he would have gotten laid off anyway. Like the safe job really wasn't the safe job um and so i don't know it's just it's so cool like that i feel like you know we have it's good to have a trajectory it's good to have goals and plans but i think so often life takes us on an adventure that's bigger than yeah than the one that we have in our heads well i know you know i've I think in my adult life, I've had like a steady paycheck for maybe two and a half years total. <laughs> like most of my life has been just random income from random places from all the random things that people like us do. And I've noticed that in that short, like two and a half years, I put I put so much hope in every two weeks, this money shows up in my bank account. Hmm. And I... I realized when that was when I didn't have that anymore that I'd forgotten that I typically have to trust God every day for how I'm going to survive because money just sort of randomly shows up when you do the things you feel like, you know, you just never know what it's going to look like, but you keep moving forward and you keep sort of finding ground to step on as you walk versus, I, yeah, I don't know, that that's just a, a thing that continually... Uh, is percolating in my head of like, who am I trusting? Hmm. Uh, and so I think when you when you choose the thing that seems less obvious and less safe, it in reality is no less safe or dangerous. Right. It's just less obvious. Yeah, that's so true. Um, okay, so we probably met shortly after that then. I mean, you guys hadn't been married long when I, I remember Jeremy Casella brought mm-hmm. you over. And we used to have a studio yeah. in, in our basement. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we got married and we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where my husband grew up and where his family was. And so we just wanted to have that support system. Also, we knew we couldn't stay in California. And I've heard it's not the most affordable place. No. <laughs> yeah. So we were, I mean, we were. San Jose, yeah. Yeah. So we moved to Phoenix. I think our first year of marriage, our total expenses were a thousand dollars like including rent health insurance my, my brain food doesn't i know. know how to handle that piece yeah of but we was this in 1920 a thousand dollars a month it wasn't the entire year our, our rent was, oh yeah was, was $500 a month. let me clarify it okay. was a thousand dollars for a month that, yes that makes more sense Still crazy, but that doesn't make more sense. Also, Dave, just so you know, to the listener, Dave is currently sitting on the floor of the studio on his yes. phone, and I keep I keep wondering uh, if Dave is so bored listening to this because he usually listens to podcasts at two times the speed. I know, and he's having to listen to this one in real time, and is it driving him crazy? Yes, and listening to me tell the stories that he already knows. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I love it. So, yeah, so you guys moved to Phoenix. You're living very frugally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and what's that like? Oh, it was it was hard and exciting and, uh, I mean, all the things. Like, we, we didn't know where the money was going to come from to pay our rent. Right, the, the little <laughs> amount that you needed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because at that time, our income was pretty much – going to our church, borrowing their sound system, bringing it over to a coffee shop on a Saturday morning, setting it up and putting out a tip jar. Like that was... That was the, that was the gig. Yes. Yes. 
And then that slowly grew into, oh, that coffee shop's going to now pay us $50 for three hours. And we, you know, we would celebrate (laughs) our good fortune. Um, (laughs) And then we had a couple of, like Dave would photograph a wedding maybe every three months or Mm -hmm. so. And that would be just enough money to to cover our expenses. And, um, oh, I also remember... The first summer after we got married, my parents paid for us to go to this um, this event in Colorado called Music in the Rockies. Yeah. And it was like put on by the Gospel Music Association. And it was a contest where like the winner would get to like cut a few songs and sing mm-hmm. in, in front of like rep, record label personnel and uh, and then there were also concerts and, and there were seminars. But I think the big draw was people wanted to participate in the contest and they yeah, wanted to I've win. I've judged that before. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Hilarious. Um, so, like, my parents paid for us to go. We couldn't even afford, like, the lodging there. So we stayed in a tent at the KOA down the street. No. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, we... There are worse places to camp. That is true. Yes. Um, so we didn't do well in the competition part but we uh signed up for like the songwriting critique and it was so eye-opening um so the guy like played our song and he he said okay i can tell that you guys are songwriters but i feel like you're at a fork in the road you can either continue on the same trajectory and know that you will probably never get a record deal or have a song on Christian radio, or you can change your lyrics a little bit and make them a little bit more straightforward and have a hope of more like broad success. And so we talked it over and we just kind of decided that like we just wanted to keep writing the songs that God put on our hearts to write and not try to force them to be something that they weren't just yeah. to achieve this thing that we thought, you know, that that sounds successful. So like at that point, we just made peace with the fact that like our music would never be on the radio and that was mm. OK. We would just um, be content to work hard and kind of fly under the radar and um, trust that God would put our music where it needed to be. And so it was really interesting when a few years later we wrote a song called Your Hands and um, and it was actually a song about my struggle with anxiety and, and panic attacks and questioning like where is God when we're struggling and why doesn't he answer our prayers the way that we want him to sometimes um, and and so we wrote that song with a friend of ours and then about a year later a girl used the song for her audition for the show so you think you can dance and that episode was viewed by like almost 10 million people i think and one of those people happened to work at a christian radio station in houston texas and he heard the song and thought okay that has to be the, those lyrics have like spiritual content. And so he looked it up and he found my song and he played it on his station the next morning, kind of on a whim. And then uh, people called in and said, um, thank you for playing that song. This is what's happening in my life. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then more people called in and then the phone started ringing. And, and then they just decided to add the song to their regular rotation of songs by the end of that week. Um, which just never happens. Yeah, never, <laughs> never. And then um, one thing led to another, and it got added to radio stations all over the country. And within like a month or so, it was like on the Billboard charts. And it was just shocking yeah. and something that I I never thought would happen. And like I said, we had made peace with the fact that our music would never have any kind of like big platform and and that felt okay uh but it was like as if god reached down and like plucked that song yeah. out and said no i i think i want this to be on the radio but you, 
But that probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, that wouldn't have happened if you had tried to change your thing. Yeah. To fit some mold that wasn't you. Totally. The reason that song connected with people was because it was real. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'd love to, if you wouldn't mind, if, if you feel comfortable talking about it, you, you said you wrote that song based on kind of your struggles with anxiety and, and, um, I'm so curious as to what that's looked like for you and what that, what that journey has been for you and how that's intersected with sort of even this lifestyle of, you know, not having the safe, safe routine and yeah. Yeah. What's that look like for you? Well, it took me a while to figure out what was actually happening for a while. I thought that I had some really serious health problem because my heart would start racing and I would, feel like I was going to pass out. I felt really dizzy. My fingers would go numb. I kept going to the doctor and they kept saying, you're really healthy. I mean, and I was, I don't know, 23 at the time. Okay. So this started, is is that kind of when it started? Yeah, it was, I can think back to the first symptoms starting right before Dave and I got engaged. Um, And, and it, I mean, it makes so much sense now. They say that a lot of kind of panic comes on when people are going through major life transitions. And so I graduated from high school or high school. I graduated from college. Two weeks later, Dave and I got married. We moved to a new state. We decided that we were going to try to make a living playing music. And on top of that, my mom was severely depressed and, Mm. and I didn't know how to help her. And we were moving away from her and, and so there were there were just all of these huge like external things weighing on me that I I think my body just didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And and so then all the weird symptoms started to happen and and the doctors couldn't really figure out what was going on. And it wasn't until I watched the movie As Good As It Gets <laughs> where like the character Is that the Jack Nicholson? Uh-huh. Movie? Yes. Oh, Diane Keaton. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So at the beginning of the movie he has a heart attack. Uh-huh. And then later in the movie he he thinks he's having a heart attack. He goes to the ER and they say you're not having a heart attack, you're just having a panic attack. Hmm. And I was like, "What?" I've done that. I I had one and I went to the hospital yeah. thinking I was having a heart attack and they're like, "No, you're no. fine." Yeah. And so I went on WebMD yeah. and turns out I had like 10 out of the 12 symptoms of a panic attack. Yeah. And it it was really relieving at first because I thought, okay, so this is what's happening. At least my heart's not stopping. Totally. But. But then I had to figure out, okay, now how do I make these stop because they're terrible? And was it happening often? Yeah. I mean, it just kind of kept over like the course of a few years, it just kept getting more and more frequent to the point where I didn't even really want to leave my house Mm. anymore. And like, I would pray that God would just immediately take it away. Um, that I'd wake up one morning and I would never have another panic attack again, because I know that he answers prayers that way sometimes, just like instantly, miraculously. But that's not what he did for me. <laughs> um, instead, it was a really long, slow process um, of just a million tiny things. Like, um, But it was in the middle of that time when we wrote that song, Your yeah. Hands. And it was through that pain that we were able to write that song and then God used that song in the lives of like hundreds of thousands of people, um, just turning that brokenness into something beautiful and healing, um, which is just amazing. So I didn't talk about it a lot at first, but as I started to get stronger, I just felt like God was kind of tapping on my shoulder and saying like, okay, it's time to start telling your story a little bit. Yeah. And and I thought, okay, yeah, sure. I'll be looking for people in my life to to share it with. And and I just felt like he said, no, I want you to talk about it from stage. Um, and I did not want to do that. Um, 
it just felt way too vulnerable, mm. um, especially kind of in the in the context of Christian culture where I didn't want to like expose myself to criticism. I, like I just felt like people were going to say, well, you just don't have enough faith or, um, you know, the Bible says to be anxious about nothing, but here you are, you know? <laughs> um, <sighs> and so I really didn't want to do it. And, but just the feeling in my heart did not go away that I was supposed to do it. And mm. so, so one um, Sunday morning when we were like leading worship at a church and sharing some of our original songs, I got brave and I talked about it and just said, like, this is what's going on in my life, but this is how I see like God working in it. Um, and after after the service, this man came up and said, thank you so much for talking about panic and anxiety because that's my story too. And I thought that I was the only one. And it, all of a sudden it was kind of this light bulb moment of like, okay, I, I see now God, like why, why it's important for me to talk about this. Because I think especially in Christian circles, people don't want to talk about it. Um, it's kind of taboo. And so I feel like in a lot of ways it's become a central part of my calling of my mm -hmm. purpose. It's to talk about the fact that I struggle with panic and anxiety and like I've learned so many tools to kind of get a handle on it but at the same time I feel like we all kind of have our things that that are hard for us that we're probably going to wrestle with for the rest of our lives the thorns and in our side totally and this one is mine and so for me to just give a voice to people who struggle with fear and anxiety and say like, yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, but you're not the only one and we're in this together. Um, I think it's, it's been a surprising way that God has used, um, this little platform that he's given me to just mm. bring hope and comfort to people. Yeah. That's really, that's really beautiful and needed. I wrote a blog um, that's on my website, or you can put a link to it, um, yeah. where uh, I just talk about a whole bunch of little things that have that have helped me, like practical things that have helped me. Yeah, with that'd be panic. great. I mean, that's the thing about healing is that it takes work. Yeah, it takes time and yeah. it takes work. Totally. And it's and it's often the healing is harder at first than dealing with than just powering through yeah you know yeah because you got to face it you got to own it it's so exhausting you, gotta, you get you can't zone out and watch netflix it's like i gotta do i yeah. gotta do work totally it's now my job to get better yeah well one of one of the things that i learned was um one of the exercises to do was to, like carry around a little notebook and every time i had a scary thought i had to write it down and what and does that what does that accomplish? Because with anxiety, a lot of times it's just this ambiguous, scary feeling that's like looming right below the surface, and it doesn't have like a name or a face. It's just this like really scary thing. Wow. And so to write it down, a lot of times that's kind of all that it takes to like see it with your eyes and think like, oh, that's not going to happen, and then you can kind of dismiss it. Um, or you can take it to the next level, and, and most of the time it's a lie. So to write the lie and then replace it with the truth. Um, and hmm. it was just really powerful. But it got to the point where, I, like, I was having so many of these, like, panicky, scary thoughts that I, like, I had to keep pulling out the, like, the notebook. And it got to the point where I was so annoyed that I would just stop, like, the thought before it happened so that I wouldn't have to write it down. Wow, and I wonder if that's part of yeah. Wow, that's really amazing. I know. And it real I mean, in essence, it's training you to be like, no, to recognize it's training you to recognize a lie. Yeah, totally. I need that in like eight different 
facets of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eight different notebooks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. That's really powerful. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put the link okay. to that blog in, in uh, the show notes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I wrote a blog about all the things that have helped me on my journey. And the blog is called You're Not Going Crazy. Oh, that's great. Because I think that's one of the big fears is you think you're just going to get worse and worse and you don't want anybody else to know about it. And the more ambiguous the fear is and the more secret it is, the more powerful it is. And so the more that you acknowledge it and the more that you start telling safe people in your life, look, this is what I'm dealing with, like the less hold it has over your life. But it is scary and it's vulnerable, but I feel like it's the only path to healing. That's really helpful. Yeah, good. I mean, I just like, again, I just feel it's so funny because I really, really, really didn't want to talk about it at first um, because I just wanted to convey this like, I'm happy and I love Jesus and following God means like everything's okay, which, you know, on some level, like, yes, that's that's true. But on another level, like life is so much more complicated than that. And and so I think for a lot of people to see somebody on stage struggling with like mental illness, basically, is is just really comforting. I think a big thing, a big purpose of my music and my story is to remind people that they're not alone. That's great. You are very gifted at talking about this <laughs> i mean just it's a lot. i know it's, it's a lot of practice <laughs> a lot of, i know you've it's clear you've wrestled with it yeah to be able to get to that point but which i'm really happy i'm glad for you as your friend but yeah yeah it's powerful thank you it's good well i mean i still remember you coming over to our house and we were talking about songwriting um and you said like well, have you ever just written a song specifically about panic? And then we wrote, um, what is that song called? True Things? No, no, no. The one about, it's so old now. <laughs> have Mercy on Me. Oh, yeah. I like that song. Yeah. I need to hear that song again. That's like really the ache in the in the panic and mm. then and then your hands which we wrote with katie herzig yeah. actually um that's more kind of the the hope in it and where is god in all of it but have mercy on me that was really therapeutic for me and i think that that's the song that we actually sang that sunday morning really um, i talked about it and then we sang, have mercy on me. Oh, wow. and then... Okay, well, let's fast forward a little bit. Now you're a mother. Mm-hmm. And um, how old are your daughters? My now? oldest, Lucy, is nine, and then Nora just turned seven. They're so fun. And um, what's it like to be a mom uh, when, A, you're traveling and touring a lot and you know going all over the country and, and singing, um, and also wrestling with anxiety and... and uh, because what's, what is more, what causes more anxiety than parenting? And just the <laughs> insanity of like these tiny people that mm. are, you know, depending on you. Um, so what, what's that been like? And how's that even changed uh, your music and what you're doing with your music? Yeah. Well, um, things started happening on the radio kind of right after our first daughter was born. And so... We had to figure out, okay, how much are we going to lean into this sudden publicity um, and, like, work it as much as we can and get on the road and, you know, do all this, like, all these interviews and radio tours and um, and how much are we going to be home and get used to this, like, tiny person who is now a part of our family. Mm-hmm. And at the time where you back was you were back in Phoenix. Yeah, we were in Phoenix. You'd moved to Nashville mm-hmm. for a couple of years. I still feel I remember this 
we were all like, come to Nashville. We're going to hang out all the time. It's going to be great. And you guys moved here. And it was like, oh, yeah, but we all tour all the time. And we all have babies. And like, I know, yeah. I know that, that did not turn out the way that you hoped. And that I just still feel bad about like, feeling like I led, led you guys on. Um, so like, come here. It's going to be great. But we'll never see you when you're here. We'll actually see you mostly in California or something. Um, so you guys were here for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you moved. Yeah. Moved back to Phoenix. Um just had that grandparent support, yeah. which was huge. Um, and then, yeah, and then the radio miracle happened. Um, but it, it was kind of this this struggle of trying to figure out how much how much do we try to ride this wave and like really push hard and yeah. And I just like I don't. It's not really in me to do that. Um, I don't really have that killer instinct of like you know, um, we have to squeeze all of whatever we can out of this. Yeah, you really strike me as an aggressive self marketer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I was just trying to get used to being a mom. Um, and so we did a few bus tours, like, and we brought our baby with us, and it was crazy. And you like um, got, got a bus and had like a yeah. baby bunk and everything in the. Well, we we had a bus and we still have a bus, um, but uh, yeah, man, that was that was. It's hard to have babies on buses. Uh, yeah. It is, but it was still like wonderful and exciting, and um, and so we had that first single that was playing on the radio for for about a year, and then like we pitched our second single. And that did even better than the first song. And we thought, you know, people always talk about this radio thing being really hard, but all you have to do is just like give them a song and they play it. <laughs> and, that's, that's it? Yeah. I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> um, and then, you know, maybe like nine months later, we pitched another song and and people at radio said, we like it, but I don't know if it's really like, it doesn't really fit our format. And we're like, okay, a couple of months later, how about this song? No. And it was just like, it that turned into years of mm. pitching songs and getting rejected. And so I, I started just really, that it really started to get into my head. And I started feeling like maybe I'm not a good songwriter and maybe I can't write songs that will be moving in people's hearts. And um, and and so I just got to the point where I was putting so much pressure on myself that I didn't even want to write songs anymore. And but then at that time I had like two babies and I thought, you know, like what I really want to write is songs for my kids and and so we just decided to to go with that and I just started thinking about okay what what do I want them to hear as they're falling asleep and what what things do I want to sing over them um, night after night and so we just filled it like full of songs of hope and peace and love and um, encouragement and I thought this this album is not going to be life-changing for anybody it's just like a simple album full of lullabies but at the same time it felt like this is this is what I feel like I need to do and this is the season of life I'm in and it feels honest and real and and it wasn't until I was in the studio listening back to the songs that we were tracking um that I realized that the songs that we had written for our children were songs that I needed to hear mm. myself. And I think we mm. all kind of long for somebody to sing lullabies to us, to um, to be reminded that everything's going to be okay. And so we released the album into the world, and I've just been so overwhelmed to hear all the stories from people of not only is it serving its initial purpose of helping calm children in the car (laughs) or at nap time need to get these yeah or at bedtime but i i've just been overwhelmed 
by the amount of stories that I've heard from parents talking about using the songs in a medical context, like that it'd be the only thing to calm their child down before they went into surgery or as they Mm. were going through treatment or um, kids with special needs, um, hearing it and kind of like calming down and foster families using it as a bonding agent for their kids and in themselves. And uh, yeah, it's like, it, it blows my mind. Um, and so I just, um, I feel like it's kind of the lane that I'm in right now. And so I'm getting ready to release my second lullaby album. Um, even though, you know, there's nothing like super glamorous or rock star <laughs> about, I write music for moms, but at the same time, it's just like that it feels like my purpose and I've always like my songwriting style and the way that I sing is just really soft kind of by nature. And so it, everything kind of fell into place to, it makes sense that I sing lullabies and, and I mm. feel like that's how the Lord uses me to bring peace and, and comfort into people's cars and into their homes. And, and it's, such an honor when I stop and think about it that that my music gets to be the sound, soundtrack to memories that all of these families are making all across the country and the world and yeah that's so amazing and it's hard hearing the story it, it's hard for me not to see the the contrast of panic and anxiety and fear and songs about peace and hope and tenderness and all. I mean, those things are diametrically opposed. And so do you see a correlation there? I think even at first, like I subconsciously was writing the songs that my own soul needed to hear. So I think that I am aware of the need for peaceful music um and it's it's so interesting to me because even at shows the comment that I hear most often is like you look so peaceful while you're singing um wow uh which is just interesting because like sometimes um I mean I kind of go through waves but like sometimes I am totally at peace on stage but sometimes I'm not um and I'm just like full of anxiety and fear and it's just kind of an example of um like the the Lord's strength um Hmm. just coming through my own weakness and uh it just it I don't know. It. Um, I realize I'm probably like pop psychoanalyzing, but no. it seemed, but it's just it's it's such an it feels like such an obvious sort of contrast and yeah, that the Lord's strength is through your weaknesses. I think really rarely have I seen something so sort of clear. Yeah, and that's really beautiful, and I love that people are responding to it the way they are. And so so this new album, when does it come out? It comes out November second. November second. But I'm planning to release a few singles ahead of time. Okay. Um, I think the first one comes out right before this pod- this podcast will go live this coming Tuesday. So it will already be out. So it will already yeah. be out. Okay. So I'll put a link to that so Yay. people can hear it. Um, what's the song called? Uh, okay. One? So this new Lullaby album is mostly a covers album. Oh, cool. So it's 12 cover songs and three originals. So it's a beast. It's long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's so pretty. That's, that's the thing. People don't usually say, this is a beast of a lullaby album. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the best adjective to describe this. I love it. Um, uh, so what's the, what's, what are some of the songs you recorded? Okay. So the first single that we're releasing is called, uh, Better Together. It's a Jack Johnson mm-hmm. song, but we have two Beatles songs on there. We have Bridge Over Troubled Water, Edelweiss. Stay Awake, the song that Mary Poppins sings. Oh, yeah. Um, just uh, Moon River. 
Oh, come on. Yeah, like all, all, all of the best songs. And we, we got our friend Ben Shive to produce it for us and Brown Bannister to help out. And it, it sounds kind of like a movie soundtrack. Oh, I mean, awesome. it's like orchestral and just beautiful. I mean, it's the music is so beautiful. I mostly think of it um, like it's an honor for me to have my voice on it because it's just it feels like a piece of art. Hmm. How fun. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it, which I know Dave's going to be like, I already sent it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's called I Dream. I, I've heard like the first little bit. I haven't had time, time to get a look through. It's called I Dream of You, Volume Two, because the first one's called I Dream of You. Well, thank you so much for coming by and, and chatting. This is really wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for people to get to hear this. People are going to be able to listen to that project, and and uh, knowing a bit more of what went into it, I think is going to just add to the depth of that. It'll be fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was lovely. She just brought a whole whole bunch of stuff there. Just so sweetly. She had some really deep and resonant things. Um, I hope you found that as helpful as I did. I'm going to post links to all the things that she talked about. And you should know, when she says that the new Lullabies record is orchestral, I think is what she said, um, she's not joking. Like, it really sounds like a movie. After they left, I got to spend some time with the, the music. And... It really does feel like whimsical and, and uh, there's strings and horns and and like, you know, pop music stuff too. And it's all kind of thrown together and it just sounds magical. It's my favorite thing I've ever heard her do uh, by a long shot. It's fantastic. I, I know it's a lullabies album, which makes you think, oh, this is simple music for kids. And while I believe that is technically probably true, I'm going to listen to this record a lot. I think you will like it too. Um, so go to Spotify, iTunes, check that out. Also, uh, they stuck around after the interview and played us one of the new songs called Hand to Hold that they wrote with uh, Andy Gullihorn. And it's just beautiful. So that'll play us out. So thanks again to all of our sponsors, NIFW.org, GlobalCounselingNetwork.com. Uh, some awesome people. Please check those uh, resources out. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Now go do something awesome. Two, three, four. Trees are made for climbing. Days are made for sun. Puddles are for jumping. Fields are made to run. Stars are made for counting. And four wishes coming true sleep is made for dreaming and I have dreams for you may you never lose the wonder in your soul may you always have a blanket for the cold may the living light inside you compass as you go may you always know you have my hand told stones are made for skipping stories made to tell life is made for living I pray you live it well Learning comes from trying, so don't be afraid to lose. Songs are made for singing, I'll sing this one for you. May you never lose the wonder in your soul. May you always have a blanket for the cold. May the living light inside you be the compass as you go. May you always know you have my hand told. 
May the good Lord bless and keep you, fill you with his peace. His face will shine upon you, even as you sleep. Every day you're changing, sometimes I wish it wasn't true. Hearts are made for giving, have given mine to you. May you never lose the wonder in your soul. May you always have a blanket for the cold. May the living light inside you be the compass as you go. May you always know